This is episode 221 of Logomora for May 27th, 2017. back, listeners, to another episode of Alohomora, MuggleNet.com's every-so-once-in-a-while global reread <laughs> of the Harry Potter series. At least we are on this episode. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Allison Sigurd. I'm Laurie Thompson. With us today, we have Olivia. Hi. Olivia, tell, tell us <laughs> a little bit about yourself. Um, cool. I, um, I'm a Ravenclaw. Um, I'm at Overmorny. I'm a Horned Serpent. Um, those are good houses. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and yeah. Awesome. How did you get into Harry Potter? Oh, um, I read, I read book one when I was 11 and I remember checking it out of the school library the week before school let out. And I was so proud of myself that I read the entire book in one week and then (laughs) the rest is history. I read them all as they came out, um, and have been hooked ever since. Very nice. Wow, you were the perfect age when you started reading it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I like how that worked out. I got to grow up with it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh listeners, you may notice, too, that we have a- another new voice on this week. Lori, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Hey, I'm a Hufflepuff. I've been with MuggleNet since about November. And I got into Harry Potter when I was like probably nine. It was right around the time that Azkaban came out on paperback for scholastic so been with it for a while (laughs) cool and laurie and i live in the same neck of the woods so this is true yeah we are both in the austin area where it's nice and cloudy and rainy today (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh yeah it's funny uh olivia mentioning that with reading book one but uh allison i think you're going to tell the listeners a little bit about the book we're actually exploring today Yeah, today we're doing another chapter revisit, as Michael said, and we're jumping back into Chamber of Secrets, and we are discussing the heir of Slytherin. So chapter 17 of Chamber of Secrets. So make sure you read that, listeners, before you listen to the rest of the episode. And this week our episode is sponsored by Crystal Fiddler on Patreon. If you, You can become a sponsor for as little as a dollar a month, and we release exclusive tidbits there for our sponsors. So thank you, Crystal. We appreciate your assistance. We appreciate your help. It's because of people like Crystal and other sponsors, all of our Patreon sponsors, that we can continue to do episodes like these on Alohomora, like chapter revisits, which you guys were thrilled about. Um, And we've seen some pretty good uh, reception for that from the first one we did with Diagon Alley. So we're going to give it another shot here and see how this goes. Uh, And speaking of Diagon Alley... Just got to mention, once again, listeners, got to ask you where you're going to be on September 1st, because MuggleNet is throwing a huge party to celebrate the epilogue, because the epilogue is actually happening woo! on September 1st. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, that was a nice woo, and it also almost sounded like the Hogwarts Express. That was yes. good. <laughs> that was a legit impression of the Hogwarts Express right there. <laughs> Which is the sound you could be making, listeners, on September 1st 
as you ride the Hogwarts Express, for that will be open at Universal Studios Orlando, uh, where you can ride the Hogwarts Express, shop in Diagon Alley, uh, walk down Diagon Alley. It's going to be a pretty neat experience. You get your own wand at Ollivander's, all kinds of neat things happening, and it is exclusively for ticket holders for this MuggleNet Live event. There will also be Harry Potter uh, celebrities in attendance, uh, including Allison. Can you list some of the celebrities? Because there have been so many lately that I'm not, I haven't kept track. Yes. So I know we have uh, Ellie Darshan Alden, who played Lily, young Lily Evans. Mm-hmm. We have, um, oh shoot, how am I forgetting everyone's names? We have Chris Rankin, <laughs> who is Percy Weasley. He's coming Um so, Luke Youngblood, who played Lee Jordan, is coming. I'm excited about that. Ah. We also have Ryan Turner, who is Hugo Weasley. Rohan Gotobed, who is young Sirius Black. And Arthur Bowen, who was Albus Severus Potter in the epilogue. You could get a chance to ask those guys about their opinions of Cursed Child. <laughs> so, that's an opportunity you wouldn't want to miss. Uh, so many neat things going on at this event. And again, it's exclusive to... Uh, ticket holders for this event, so you won't be seeing anybody, you know, in their Hawaiian shirts and shorts walking around Diagon Alley. These people who are, like, walking around on a daily basis there who are just like, I just thought I'd check this out. No, this is gonna be, like, full of, like, hardcore Harry Potter fans. It'll be very refreshing. <laughs> Which um, is so... always the best time to be there. Yes, best exactly. Time. So I'm so excited, guys. <laughs> <laughs> are you joining us, Olivia? Yeah, my friend and I are uh, booking our hotel room this weekend, so... <gasps> Yay! Yeah, I'm so excited. Yes, yes. So, where will you be, listeners, on September 1st? You don't want to be sitting at home regretting that you didn't do anything on this historic Harry Potter date. So we'll hope to see you there at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. But for now, let's head into a completely different area of the Wizarding <laughs> World. Let's go very, very, very deep. We are heading into the Chamber of Secrets. Three turns should do it. Chapter Revisit. Chamber of Secrets. Chapter 17. Speak to me, Slytherin. The heir of Slytherin. Kill him. Harry enters the fabled Chamber of Secrets to find Ginny nearly dead and Tom Riddle present, having somehow escaped the confines of his diary. Riddle soon reveals his true identity, with the earliest of Rowling's trademark anagrams, Voldemort. Boasting of his Slytherin ancestry and his determination to destroy Harry, Riddle sets Salazar's own basilisk on Harry. With the aid of Fox, the Sorting Hat, Gryffindor's sword, and the basilisk's own fangs, Harry defeats the monster and destroys Riddle's diary. As Ginny recovers... She, Harry, Ron, and a severely addled Gilderoy Lockhart hitch a ride on Fox's tail feathers back to the girls' bathroom. When you summarize it that way, this is a pretty weird chapter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot how much happens in this. Like, it is like the chapter everything happens in this book, I feel like. This is the core chapter, right? Yeah. Which is funny because I think after after our reread... I've, and even during our reread, I heard a lot of people say that Chamber of Secrets is kind of low on their list of the books, if not their least favorite. How does everybody, knowing that this is so important, how does everybody feel about Chamber of Secrets in general here? 
Um, For me, as a kid, I know it was definitely my least favorite, and I was kind of bummed because coming off reading the first one, which I just powered, like, read super fast, but then I did a reread recently, and I, as an adult, I like it a lot more. I don't know if that's because I have the hindsight of knowing how much is dropped in this one, or if it's just the kids being annoying makes sense for why they annoyed me the first time through. Where as a kid, I was like, no, you guys aren't being smart. It bothered me a lot more. <laughs> so. Yeah, Hogwarts, the Hogwarts students aren't at their best in this particular book, are they? Yeah. <laughs> Olivia, yeah. go ahead. They're so cute. They're so young. But this one was my favorite for years because it felt like there was a really good mystery that I needed to solve. Mm. And it ended in something kind of like weird and scary, and that was right up my alley as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. Well, there. I think uh, more so than because uh, Sorcerer's Stone has a mystery. It's the, of course the mystery of who is who is Nicholas Flamel and who's actually going after the Sorcerer's Stone, and you get a little bait and switch at the end. But uh, I, I, I would say probably the people highlight Chamber of Secrets as being the bigger mystery of the series, and I kind of feel that's because there are a lot more intricate pieces that we're dealing with in this one. There, This one actually ends up kind of being a whodunit. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, of course, the solution is pretty shocking, and we get the classic villain reveal really long monologue of what happened and there are there are there are a lot of details about how it went down so i think that maybe is what makes this more of a more of an involved mystery than sorcerer's stone yeah i think this one's interesting because there's a lot of um it's never really been my favorite i think just because i love prisoner so much i'm always like Mm. get through get to prisoner um (laughs) but but there's a lot, also I don't like spiders or snakes, and you know those are big things in this book. <laughs> um, and so there's there's a lot though that becomes so important to the foundation of this as a bigger epic story. I just finished rereading. I'm finally reading my illustrated editions, and I just finished um, Sorcerer's Stone today. And it's funny to me that that one a lot of the deeper things, the deeper layers we start getting, we don't mm-hmm. get a lot of them in Sorcerer's Stone at all. A lot of them start coming in Chamber. I mean, this idea of Tom Riddle, Voldemort having a background. Um, we start getting Horcruxes. Um, we get a lot more about Dumbledore. We get a lot more about, I mean, Ginny shows up for the first time, really. <laughs> um there's a lot more layering that starts happening in this book mm-hmm. that I think is what makes the series so epic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think once you get, especially when you get to Deathly Hallows, you know, there aren't that many uh, references to Sorcerer's Stone in Hallows. Uh, a lot of the references are, are pointing more to Chamber of Secrets and Half-Blood Prince has an intense connection with Chamber of Secrets. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think maybe that's where that kind of initial love for, for Chamber of Secrets came from for the fandom. But then, like you said, Allison, Prisoner of Azkaban happened. Yeah. And suddenly everybody <laughs> had a new favorite. Um, I, I, I mean, personally for me, yeah, Chamber of Secrets I thought was really great, but I, I started reading Harry Potter at the time that the first three books were out. So while I really enjoyed Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner and, you know, it was it was not at the top of my list for a long period of time because I went straight to prisoner after that. Um, but I did enjoy it for what it was. And I will say, to give it some 
throw out a bone. I it's the best of the it's the best of the computer games. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there's something. <laughs> yeah, I've just started playing through the PS2 game, and I've been trying to get my husband to play it. He's not a Harry Potter fan, but he's been enjoying it regardless, just because. <laughs> It's a good game on yeah. its own. Yeah, it, Chamber of Secrets is one of the best. I feel like Chamber of Secrets is structured well as a game because it, it has a it has such a good mystery that kind of loans itself to turning into a game. Um, yeah. So it and it and it opened up more exploration of Hogwarts since there's so many areas you can poke around in, um, especially with accessing a place like the Chamber of Secrets. And speaking of the Chamber of Secrets itself, uh, this chamber. Posed a lot of questions, uh, to people <laughs> because, uh, you know, a giant snake chamber downstairs with a nine, you know, thousand year old snake that's just been ostensibly sleeping there <laughs> this whole time since the time of Salazar Slytherin. Um, I like to imagine little snake sleepover parties. <laughs> <laughs> little tiny snakes that just wander in <laughs> to the chamber of secrets and boy, what a surprise to find that in there. <laughs> Um, they have to go somewhere when the greenhouses get too cold. That's it. Yeah, no, <laughs> nice and nice and warm down there. Uh, and also, uh, how did this uh, chamber of secrets stay connected? How how did this chamber of secrets become connected to uh, indoor plumbing when that was not a thing in <laughs> Slytherin's time? Probably because as, and and the movie really amped up the look of the Chamber of Secrets being integrated yeah. into the yeah. sewer system. Um, and you're kind of just like, well, that's not right. These these didn't <laughs> exist back then. Uh, so, Rowling attempted to answer that uh, with a few pieces about well, she, did a, she did actually a piece on the Chamber of Secrets on Pottermore, and I pulled out two particular quotes, and uh, one of the ones that kind of tries to explain what happened as far as the plumbing goes, is there is clear evidence that the chamber was opened more than once between the death of Slytherin and the entrance of Tom Riddle in the 20th century. When first created, the chamber was accessed through a concealed trapdoor and a series of magical tunnels. However, when Hogwarts's plumbing became more elaborate in the 18th century, and here's a fun fact for you, this was a rare instance of wizards copying muggles because hitherto they simply relieved themselves wherever they stood and vanished the evidence. So, (laughs) yep, makes you think a lot about uh, walking around the Hogwarts halls now. Oh, gross! It's not my word, not my words. J.K. Rowling, this is all her fault. (laughs) (laughs) The entrance to the chamber was threatened being located on the site of a proposed bathroom which I'm sure the Slytherins were not happy about once they found that out. <laughs> uh, the presence in school at the time of a student called uh, Corvinus Gaunt, direct descendant of Slytherin and antecedent of Tom Riddle, explains how the simple trapdoor was secretly protected so that those who knew how could still access the entrance to the chamber even after newfangled plumbing had been placed on top of it. Are we satisfied with this explanation? Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I just, I, like, I don't know. <laughs> what other explanation are we going to get, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't have another theory, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because we know, that, uh, the big thing is, of course, that the, the, the reveal is that the actual snake kind of charm that you use to access the chamber is on a sink. Um... 
So it would seem somehow that magic was added or transferred somehow from the trapdoor to the sink. I'm just, this must have been very complicated for these Slytherin students to figure out, uh, to get <laughs> around all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it wasn't necessarily all, all of the Slytherins, right? It was just, basically, it sounds like just the Gaunt family, mm-hmm. um, were the ones. Corvinus would be the, uh, the main one, it looks like, who was head of this. Maybe he was an expert in muggle plumbing. <laughs> took muggle studies he took muggle studies and everybody was like why are you taking that and he's like oh no reason i just like to understand my enemy better or so <laughs> and his, his first day so plumbing let's talk about it <laughs> Great. can we talk about plumbing for a minute i'm asking for a friend <laughs> yeah this very he's very he's really long and he's green and he sheds his skin and don't look at his eyes just don't do it just don't well, worry about it don't worry maybe about it. Maybe since they were just installing the plumbing that year, maybe they did a special unit on it in Muggle's I'm sure the transitioned actually using the bathroom rather than banishing your ex from the special lessons for that. <laughs> Here's how it works. Used to. Yes, yes. So, well, there's there you one go. guy that, that uh... ruins it for everybody and keeps going to the bathroom in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's there. <laughs> That's still a thing. Somebody's doing it. Um, it's a ghost. Some ghost is still there, and everyone's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> that is the thing. Well, that's funny because that's the thing in the Chamber of Secrets video game because ghosts leave ectoplasm everywhere, and there's like a specific <laughs> spell to get rid of it. So maybe that is actually a thing. Uh, but uh, Rowling also noted a little bit in that piece about what the chamber really might have meant as what Slytherin was doing with it. Not just as a uh, muggle-killing chamber to house his muggle-killing monster, but he might have actually had another use for it. And she says, she posits, perhaps when he first constructed the chamber, Slytherin wanted no more than a place in which to instruct his students in spells of which the other three founders may have disapproved. Disagreements sprung up early around the teaching of the dark arts. However, it is clear by the very decoration of the chamber that by the time Slytherin finished it, he had developed grandiose ideas of his own importance to the school. No other founder left behind them a gigantic statue of themselves or draped the school in emblems of their own personal powers. I do have to say, my favorite thing about that statue is that she just describes it as he looks like a monkey. And that just, like, (laughs) cracks me up for some reason. I don't know. It just is really funny. Wasn't the most glamorous fellow. No. But that he thought he was so important. Like he probably he thought really he was amazingly good looking. <laughs> I imagine that he wouldn't accept anything other than a pure blood sculptor. So I'm sure the like pool he had to choose from was very limited for their artistic talent. <laughs> Do you think he did it himself? <laughs> it would not surprise me. Actually, <laughs> that would be really funny. So. Just and disappears for hours on end. He's just chiseling away. <laughs> <laughs> His own giant statue in the basement. Yeah, it's not. Uh, the other founders come up. What? Are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yep, it's a it's a little weird. This this uh, this chamber. Uh, Wait, I, do you think this? Do you think these statues came alive in the Battle of Hogwarts? <laughs> <laughs> that might Were have they, been like, useful. Bursting up from that bathroom oh and like. 
Well, I'm I'll well. Be snakes. <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that be interesting though? Because um, even if that was the case, I would imagine Slytherin would have not had much interest in enchanting his statues to defend Hogwarts, right? Like, yeah, I can't, well, that- I can't decide whether like. He would have connected it to that or not. Or not. Well, after the chamber, we can presume that Dumbledore and stuff were down there, so maybe they did after the fact? Hmm. Well, maybe. Hmm. They don't... They definitely... I feel like if Salazar's statue was in the Battle of Hogwarts, we would have probably <laughs> oh, noticed. <yeah. laughs> I don't think that statue uh. could have gotten out of the basement without causing <laughs> something. Of- well, it was trying. It just by the time the battle was over, it was just, like, barely up <laughs> the main parts of the school. Yes, Hermione and Ron forgot to, like, tell Harry about the giant statue that walked past them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like the explanation, too, that the, the chamber might have actually been used for Slytherin to teach students the dark arts because i didn't even i didn't even think of that as an alternative use because the chamber is so hyped up as this place where he kept his monster but um there really is in the books there's never they nobody ever posits a reason for what other uses for it um and it does seem to have been a pretty nice large fancy chamber to just put your evil snake in (laughs) so um and Interestingly, on episode, uh, so listeners, the first time this chapter was talked about on Alohomora was all the way back on episode 18, um, <laughs> back when we were actually doing, and this was before Allison and I were on, but this was actually when they were doing uh, chapter discussions where they were meshing two chapters actually into one uh, show. Uh, so this chapter was very lightly discussed alongside uh, the following chapter, the, the, the next chapter, Dobby's Reward. Um, and in that in in that discussion... Uh, as far as the chamber goes, there was a there was a discussion about what might the secrets of the other founders been if they had any that they loaned to the school. Because of course we know, especially from this chapter, that Gryffindor had a little secret up his hat. Uh, but do you think maybe Rowena or Helga left something that we're unaware of in the school? Well, there's the suggestion that the Room of Requirement was somebody's. Um, mm. That's mm. been a theory that's been pandered around for a while. Yeah, and I know um, in, in episode 18, it was we, you guys had talked about it being Gryffindors. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because I feel like... And then there was a big discussion in episode 18 of, like, is there too much Gryffindor in the school? Uh, like, I they... think I've heard it suggested it was Hufflepuffs, too, though. What's the argument for that? I think just, like, that she would be the one most likely trying to help mm. students, like, as individuals, and kind of that, that catch-all nature. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, and also, if it seems like there's too much Gryffindor stuff, we see most of Hogwarts through Harry's perspective, so we just wouldn't necessarily be as aware as the other house's influences, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's fair, but I like the way that the the uh, that she describes the chamber and the way Slytherin built it says that she does not like that Rowling does not like Slytherin at all <laughs> because he's a very grandiose <laughs> sense of his own importance and who else would you know leave behind a gigantic statue of themselves like she does not like him at all, which is funny because of course recently we've had this whole. You know, I, 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 we've talked about this a bit on the show before, but that 
that occurrence that where back when we were all, you know, er, the early days, 98 of reading Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> everybody wanted to basically be in Gryffindor and maybe a few outliers wanted to be in Slytherin. Uh, and now it's kind of like flip flopped. And a lot of people are like, yeah, Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. <laughs> and there's like a lot of uh, uh, repairs being done on Rowling's part for Slytherin. Um, with one of the major ones being, uh, as far as Salazar himself is concerned, his wand uh, is what sp- uh, sprouted a healing, a tree with healing properties on the grounds of Ilvermorny. And his wand also ended up in the possession of his old sayer, uh, the founder of Ilvermorny. Uh, so it was used for good in the end, um, despite all. And I think of its... it's, I think it's important to make the distinction between like Salazar and the house, because mm-hmm. I think we're getting a lot more of like, not apologists. That's not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> we're getting a, a nicer perspective on Slytherin the house, mm-hmm. but I still a well-rounded perspective. Part, yeah, but I still think for the most part, like Salazar the person. <laughs> I agree. I don't think she likes him very much. And I don't think we're supposed to like him either. Um, He's kind of a jerk from everything we've heard about him. So, Yeah, he doesn't come off too well. I feel like that inherently taints the way we're going to feel about Slytherin House, though. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. Well, that's a shadow, I guess, that they have. That's part of their journey through the series, is that's a shadow that they have to actively work to step out of. Um... And I know, of course, we, we've talked in Deathly Hallows about how they finally do it. And it's a moment that nobody remembers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, especially because it's not in the movie. Um, but yeah, that moment when the Slytherins uh, come back and join the fight. Um, but yeah, the chamber isn't really making them look good. And one of the reasons it's not is because it has a giant death snake in it. Um, <laughs> So, wow, you're making this chamber sound so much more metal. Than no, it comes uh, it's, it's funny. I reading this chapter like again. I haven't read Chamber of Secrets in a while, and we're actually my roommates and I are just starting a reread of it. And it was funny, Allison, like you said about how you love to rush through it to get to Prisoner, because when I started reading, you know, the first chapter is just summary, summary, summary. Yeah. And at one point, Leandro was just like, "Skip." Skip, Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> I was like, no, we have to do this. For, this is a really important one. We have to read it. Um, but re- getting to the, like, rereading just this chapter, and it is, I have to say, it is very strange. Like, reading Diagon Alley out of context was not weird to me. Like, that, that flowed really well. Yeah. And it was easy to jump back in. Reading the Chamber of, reading the Air of Slytherin and this sequence in the Chamber of Secrets was really surreal to me. I thought this chapter was kind of weird. And I'm not it, really sure why. Lori? I, it was funny at the end because it's such a dark and twisty chapter and reading it out of context, I completely forgot that Lockhart was just like hanging out at the end <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> so I had to like kind of skim back and like just remember that he was there. And just completely obliviated. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, Ginny stood out a lot more to me in this chapter than I think she did before when you read it, like, with all the other chapters. Because, I mean, like, she's important and that's why they're going down there. But for some reason, her, like, she herself just popped out more at me. It wasn't like, oh, Harry, Harry's trying to get down there and all of this is happening to Harry. It was like, 
oh yeah, there's this poor little eleven year old girl down there too. Like <laughs> the phrasing they used almost on dead. Her. Like, um, uh. it's funny though too because I read this one in my illustrated edition, and almost the entire chapter is on black paper. Mm. Like the background Ooh. is the the black ground. The black ground. <laughs> the background <laughs> is black, and it's got white text on top of it. Mm. So it's very interesting. There's also a very large double spread page of Harry fighting the basilisk, which I was like, Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, what were you about um, to say, Lori? Oh, just the phrasing of it. Like, um, uh, whenever they referred to Jenny, they used the words like little and small and stuff. And I think it was one of the rare times as I read the books, I sometimes forget that they're children and the way they phrased Jenny made it sound very, very childlike, which was important because she was 11 at this point, And it's easy to forget that. Well, yeah. And she's, she's, uh, even, I think she's even smaller in the depiction because she's at the feet of the statue, which has just yeah. been described mm-hmm. as being enormous. You know, that was the other thing, too, that hit me, especially because um, the Chamber of Secrets set in the film is very iconic. I think fans yeah. really see that a lot. The, the, but the set is not at all what's described in the book. Um, it's the, the and they And that happened because... The set designers, mainly Stuart Craig, were very limited with how tall they could make the chamber. Um, and of course, in the movie, they couldn't make it so tall that they could do a full bodied statue of Salazar, so they just did the head. Um, so we're really like, and it works in the movie. You get this really closed, tight, claustrophobic, intimate setting for the chamber, which works for the chase with the snake. But in the book, this place is supposed to be so incredibly grandiose that you can't even really see the ceiling um and i think that really hit me this time more than any time i've read it before just how big the chamber is supposed to be and that coupled with all of the just bizarre imagery that is going on in this chapter like there is a like kind of like ghosty tom riddle coming out of the diary there's a giant snake fox is like singing and harry's really thrown off by it the sorting hat pukes out a sword like what is going (laughs) on like there's some weird stuff going on here right when you line it up like that you're like yeah this is weird yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i think and it all happens so fast too um i think because the movie elongates this scene a lot um you forget how quickly this all goes like the the basilisk really isn't in it that long before he gets killed um and speaking of the basilisk a little background on this horrible monster um <laughs> obviously the ministry of magic classification is uh five x's you don't want to be dealing with this what? thing <laughs> no way. <laughs> um it is uh it is the the basilisk first records appear in ancient Greece. The basilisk was created by an unpleasant fellow named Herpo the Fowl, uh who was an ancient Greek, and he created it by um hatching um a chicken's egg beneath a toad. And that's how you get Why? a basilisk. So who wants to test that? Who thought of that? <laughs> who was like really that? like <laughs> Anybody that doesn't have even access? make. I just. I don't understand who thought of that. That just doesn't make sense. I just imagine him trying, like, hatching an egg under a rabbit and under a cat, and just keep on until he gets to the toad that finally. He just keeps <laughs> hatching weird things. The funny oh my thing goodness. is, is that this is actually very 
um, Jurassic Park-esque. And not in the way that it's created, <laughs> but in the things that's used to create it. Because chickens are actually the last living descendants of the T-Rex. And, uh, of course, there is this association with reptilian um, imagery for dinosaurs when really they were actually more closely related to birds. Um, so it's funny, you've, you've got yeah. kind of the two things combined to make, and in the, in the movie, I always thought the basilisk looked more like a, like, legless, armless dinosaur than it looked like a snake. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they kind of went more with that. But, uh, basically he made a dinosaur snake. <laughs> so. Ooh, 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 sorry, I just found something, because I knew, um, basilisks aren't necessarily unique to harry potter no, I mean, they're, no, no, no. they're kind of a big thing in mythology but so i went to go look it up because i couldn't remember particulars outside of harry potter and it says its weakness is in the odor of the weasel which <sighs> according to plenty was thrown to the basilisk's hole recognizable because some of the surrounding shrubs and grass had been scorched by its presence <gasps> and jenny's there <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yep. I it, did not know that. That's that was what, so cool. That's okay. what really happened. Ginny killed the basilisk. <laughs> we <laughs> missed that part entirely. Yeah, no, that's a that's a clever reference. Might be might be the connection there. Rowling did go ahead and throw in and and I don't know if this is part of mythology or just her way to save it. Um but uh Herp of the Fowls basilisk is believed to have lived for close on nine hundred years. Oh, how convenient can just store these things in the basement for a thousand years <laughs> and it's fine. Um, there is also a very amusing, uh, and if listeners, if you're reading the latest version of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, you will not see this note because Harry and Ron and Hermione's notes have been uh, excluded from that edition. Um, but in the older editions, uh, as Newt writes, however, since basilisks, basilisks are uncontrollable except by parcel mounds, they are as dangerous to most dark wizards as to anybody else, and there have been no recorded sightings of basilisks in Britain for at least 400 years. To which Harry snarkily writes, that's what you think. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh so basilisks aren't a frequent thing to see around, uh, for obvious reasons. There's another uh, uh, important uh, creature, magical creature, wandering around in this chapter. And that's Fox, the phoenix. We've talked a lot about phoenixes. I feel we don't necessarily need to elaborate on them here. But I think what's more interesting about phoenixes, uh, there, there's some interesting points that come up about Fox's character. And probably one of the ones that I kind of can't get over, and I was hoping maybe you ladies can say your, share your feelings on this. But for all of Riddle's smarts, how did he not remember that this that (laughs) phoenixes cry healing tears because what i think what makes it more egregious for me is not only does he 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 tries to brush it off and play cool when he's just like i forgot damn it but like he lets it go on for a long time to the point where he's just like oh look it's crying because you're dying and then he just goes shoo 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 go away bird (laughs) (laughs) i i think it's an interesting look at voldemort's weakness Mm -hmm. which we get a lot more in half-blood and in deathly house if he forgets about healing kinds of things he forgets about good magic 
Mm-hmm. It, to kind of sum it up, I mean, he forgets about love magic and blood magic, and he forgets about phoenix tears, and it's like, he doesn't care enough about these things to understand, to remember them, mm-hmm. and to, like, look at them as being worthy of understanding, which is stupid on his part, because it's all the things that, like, undoes <laughs> everything he tries to do, mm-hmm. but... Which you'd think he'd be smart enough to be like, mm, what's going to undo this? It's something like this. But anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> so I think that's where I think it comes from. And I think that's an interesting early look at the complexity of Voldemort. He's not just this like cartoon villain he kind of was in Sorcerer's Stone anymore. He has weaknesses. He has this flaw. And it's going to end up being the kind of flaw that Harry has to exploit to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's uh, to be fair in the writing, it's somewhat set up um, on page 317 of the American edition. Um, when Harry reveals to, to Riddle because Riddle questions him about how he survived um, Voldemort killing him. And, uh, Harry tells him, well, my you know, my mother died to protect me, and Riddle says, so, your mother died to save you. Yes, that's a powerful counter charm. I can see now, there is nothing special about you, after all. And he does very quickly wave off that aspect of Harry being, Harry, Harry surviving because of love. Um... So I suppose that does foreshadow his ignorance, but at the same time, considering that Fantastic Beast is like a standard text, I just kind of <laughs> feel like if you asked a student, like, what's so special about phoenixes at Hogwarts? They'd be like, well, their tears have healing properties. And be like, I know that. Tom Riddle didn't, and that was his downfall. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, too, I think the movie tries to make up for that a little bit, because Fox only cries, like, two tears in the movie. Yes. So, like... He cries a single manly tear. (laughs) (laughs) Single man tear drips down his face. Um, (laughs) So I wonder if... Because I don't think the book says how much he cries so i mean i guess there's some room for that if it's like two tears and then he's like oh crap that's right and then he like (laughs) (laughs) remembers i don't know that well well, that's what i was saying because he he does give like riddle gives fox a pretty long amount of time to cry on harry in the book what were you gonna say olivia well i I think that's one of the interesting things is that this is a scene that that joe chose to give us a little more time with as opposed to when harry kills the basilisk and it's just pop with a sword and we're done mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think it's it's an interesting play on on the things that she values and that she wants her readers to value hmm. mm-hmm. yeah that's an interesting way to look at it yeah i mean yeah the, the, there's definitely the combat is so quickly is so quick in the book and yeah absolutely this is much more this probably gets like a full almost a, a full page or so of yeah. of the crying yeah um, so yeah, a lot of it too is like Harry's internal thoughts, though. If he's like, he's dying, this isn't so bad. I'm dying, you know. Like, <laughs> well, if I, yeah. The other funny thing is, it's it's like a full page though of of, of Riddle monologuing. That's true. So, <laughs> Epic all, villain monologues. Yeah, villain. Yeah, it's the it's the Incredibles rule. You shouldn't have monologued. Yeah, he said. Let's no see. <laughs> From the beginning, he said. By the time, like when once Fox lays his head on Harry, Riddle's... This I'll just read Riddle's dialogue. 
from that point. You're dead, Harry Potter. Dead. Even Dumbledore's bird knows it. Do you see what he's doing, Potter? He's crying. I'm going to sit here and watch you die, Harry Potter. <laughs> Take your time. I'm in no hurry. So ends the famous Harry Potter. <laughs> Alone in the At chamber point, of secrets. Harry, like... Forsaken by his friends. <laughs> defeated by, at last by the Dark Lord he so unwisely challenged. You'll be back with your dear mudblood mother soon, Harry. She bought you twelve years of borrowed time. But Lord Voldemort got you in the end, as you knew he must. And it's all through that <laughs> before he goes, Get away, bird! <laughs> so. <laughs> I love how if I was in... Harry, I'd be like, Can I just die? Leave <laughs> right me alone like, already. <laughs> done. <laughs> Laurie, what were you going to say? Um, I love how in Harry, like in most movies and stuff, there's the big bad who by the end of the series or by the end of the movie, you just get to see once. But in Harry Potter, it's almost every book by at the end, we get to see like Harry just kind of accidentally thwarting Voldemort's plans and Voldemort just being just so angry in like a very Scooby-Doo sort of villain manner. It is funny because it does take him till about, it does basically take Voldemort till Deathly Hallows. To finally, like, once Harry walks into the forest, he's like, okay, no more speeches, it's time to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he doesn't, he just kills him. Um, what, how, how that backfires. Um, which, there will be some discussion on that, actually, as we get into Riddle, which we will in just a moment. But before we move on from Fox, there is one more thing I think that's worth noting. And this was discussed again in episode 18, and it was posited is Fox actually Dumbledore? And I know this was a theory that was tossed around uh, for quite a bit around that time, which is funny because literally in this book, bless you, <laughs> literally in this book, uh, Dumbledore and Fox are in the same location as two separate beings um, as Fox is introduced. But that said, what I thought was interesting myself when I was thinking about this theory, um, I just happened to have the book down on the counter at work as I was taking notes and I just kind of like glanced over at the book and there's when Ron asks where Fox came from Harry replies on page 324 he's Dumbledore's and it was funny because when I just glanced at the line idly I saw he's Dumbledore <laughs> 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 and I even thought about how interesting it is that Rowling phrased it that way. She didn't have Harry say he belongs to Dumbledore or he's Dumbledore's bird or anything else. She chose him to specifically say he's Dumbledore's. And hmm. I just I was wondering if maybe there wasn't something intentional there. What do you ladies think? I feel like it's almost a, an indication of what kind of relationship they have. There's I mean, in Fantastic Beasts, it talks about how phoenixes are still very wild even if they've kind of been like they've bonded to a wizard right so it's almost like fox can't really be owned by dumbledore but he's like dumbledore's companion he's he's kind of on the same level in yeah there's something more than like he's something more than a pet mm -hmm. for dumbledore yeah, it's interesting because we rolling has confirmed through pottermore on a piece about familiars that that concept doesn't necessarily apply in her world. Um, but Dumbledore seems to be... Dumbledore and Fox seem to be in many ways very akin to the demons of the Golden Compass, um, the His Dark Ooh. Materials trilogy. 
Um, and some people have even expressed or suggested that Fox is somehow an extension of Dumbledore or is tied to Dumbledore's being or soul in some way. And we, and, and I think actually some people have even, there, there has been a theory put forth that Fox is a Horcrux, which no, that's no. (laughs) (laughs) I do like, I do like the idea that the Dumbledore can kind of warg into Fox a la Game of Thrones. Ooh, I think that, that might be an interesting way to spin that. Well, that would be interesting because we have we know that Voldemort also has a familiar in so to speak with Nagini mm-hmm. that he can also become a part of from time to time when he's so desired. But also oh, go on. Oh no, you go ahead, Laura. Okay. Um Dumbledore isn't really personally close with anybody, he kind of has a business or whatever type of relationship with everybody and Fox would be the one who's living in his section of the castle and like with him constantly to where I think maybe he could lean on Fox quite a, quite a bit since he doesn't have any people that he necessarily does that with and trusts completely. Hmm. Well, and yeah, and, and Fox, we know too that when, you know, Fox is so intrinsically connected to Dumbledore that when Dumbledore dies, Fox leaves. Um, so there does seem to be, and and Harry, we we've talked about this before too. When Harry notices, he doesn't know if he's imagining it or if it's really if he's really seeing it. But when when uh, he's at Dumbledore's funeral, he believes he sees a phoenix rising from the smoke um, from Dumbledore's tomb. Um, and we know that Dumbledore's Patronus is the phoenix. Yeah, yeah. There's so many deeper. Connect- so it's it's so funny to me that Rowling like used Pottermore as a way to actually reject the idea and concept. Oh, it's thunder. Oh, Chamber of Secrets. (laughs) 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 That's what happens when you're on the third floor. The the thunder and lightning, like, will literally shake the apartment. It's so (laughs) fun. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it's, it's funny to me that Rowling used Pottermore to actually flat out reject the concept of familiars in... Harry Potter, when there do there there seems to be some evidence that 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 is actually a part of her world, and and Dumbledore is an excellent to me example of it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know I don't know if I would subscribe to the idea that Dumbledore is Fox. Um, but that I the best way I can say it is that Fox is some kind of extension <laughs> of Dumbledore, or even some kind of embodiment of Dumbledore. If that hmm. makes sense without actually being him, I guess. Okay. That's the best I, I like can it. do. Yeah, we'll go I with like that. If any, there's what was what was the word from Game of Thrones though that's used? Uh, they're they war they're warging. They're warging. I don't know. Yep. Sounds like a that sounds like an interesting dance move to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> Gee, listeners, can you tell I don't know much about Game of Thrones? <laughs> just talking. You should really fix that. Yes, I really saying. should. I'm still in that stage where I'm like, do I read them first and then watch the TV show, or do I watch the TV show? I'm, I'm having, I'm gonna have that debate probably till I die. Is what, tough, tough <laughs> what's choice. gonna happen. Tough choice. But now that we've kind of uh, explored Fox and the Basilisk and and some of these creatures that are down here in the Chamber of Secrets. Wait, wait, wait. With us. I have one more thing. Oh yes, one, please, please, please. Uh, one thing that I that I noticed on this like on this read through of this chapter is that Fox feels a lot like Chekhov's gun. 
were introduced mm. to Fox early on in the book and then comes back in Act 3. And the rule is that you introduce the, the gun in Act 1 and you have to fire it by the end of Act 3. Um, and that's what this feels like. And I, I felt like that stuck out very, very much to me this time. And I don't know mm. if it's because I was just paying so much closer attention than I typically do when I read these. But I felt like it was very heavy-handed on well, Joe's it, part. And she doesn't usually do that. It's funny you say that because I, ve- I, I pretty distinctly recall in our discussions of Cursed Child and feeling the discussion that certain elements felt a little <laughs> hackneyed that Allison specifically said, Do y'all remember Fox? In Chamber of Secrets, <laughs> just solving all the problems, and yeah, you know, he's and a little Deus Machina. Yep, it, yeah, it does feel very, very Deus Ex Machina. Yep, he literally swoops in to save the day, and really more than more than I realized before, he pretty much does most of the combat with the Basilisk. <laughs> um, Harry just stabs it, but like Fox is the one who's Harry doesn't even have his eyes open. <laughs> <half the time. laughs> yeah, no, Fox actually takes the eyes out and kind of annoys the basilisk to the point that it's distracted enough not to go after Harry. Um, so yeah, that it. I I don't know how I feel about that because it's that one's hard for me, and I feel like I need to reread Chamber of Secrets as a whole to decide yeah. how I how I feel about that because. Because there is such an intricate mystery being set up here. And I remember, and this is something we'll probably be talking about more with Riddle too. But I remember, like, when Fox showed up and did the work he did in this chapter, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, oh my god, yes, I've totally (laughs) forgot that Dumbledore listed out all of the features of a phoenix, like, one right after the other, and they're all becoming useful here. Like, that still worked for me. Well, as a kid, and maybe that's yeah, no, part of absolutely. the reason why these early books tend to not work for people as much as they grow older. Um, yeah, and I, that is definitely a reflection of it still being a kid's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, when we look back on Sorcerer's Stone, it's like the Nicholas Flamel thing really isn't that big of a mystery. Harry just forgot that he read it on the card. Yeah. Um, and really, the the mystery isn't solved completely by reading the card it's solved by Hermione being like I have a book that answers all of these questions <laughs> and it's like did you and she like forgot that she had read that detail in the book um cuz she read the book so it's 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 the, the, it's kind of the similar thing where it's just like the solution was here the whole time in this convenient little gift box um and I feel maybe that's why prisoner of azkaban ends up being the book that people gravitate so much towards because I feel like Azkaban doesn't do that as strongly. It's the first one in the series to not do that as bluntly, perhaps, as the first two. Um, but Fox definitely, I think Fox more than anything has been, I think the thing that puts him over the top is that he can carry heavy loads. Oh my God. <laughs> like, <Yep>. Why? <laughs> that was the one that did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> why can he carry? And to be fair, historically, uh, phoenixes are somewhat closely tied to, um, uh, in Russian mythology, phoenixes have a different name, the firebird. And the firebird can also, can, can actually carry people on its back. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if that's where she kind of pulled that from. And listeners, if you know more about phoenixes in mythology, and perhaps if they have always carried heavy loads, 
which I would be interested to know. Um, but I, I'm wondering if she might have pulled it from the Firebird mythology as well to to use that. Um, but yes, there's definitely an element of convenience here. But it's all made up for with Tom Riddle, right? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Because we have a much larger mystery going on here with uh, Mr. Tom Marvolo Riddle. And there's a lot of interesting things to talk about with him. I'm going to start with one of the ones that was actually talked about in episode 18, which actually didn't get elaborated on. They didn't really have time to go into it, I think, as much as they wanted to. But as we know, Harry's a dum-dum and drops his wand. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Every time I read that, I'm like, stupid. Why would you do that? Like, It's not just a stick. Like, it is, come it on, is dude. pretty weird. It's like one of the rare instances in the books where he does that. Um, where he doesn't, he's not, the wand's not forced from his hand. He just puts it down. Um, he doesn't shove it in his robes. He like, doesn't put, put it in, it in pocket. your pocket at least. In Harry's man. defense. <laughs> in Harry's defense. He's 12 and has only been in the wizarding world for two years. And he doesn't know Mad Eye not... Moody yet. <laughs> no, no. And magic, I don't That's think right. magic is, is his first instinct yet. Yeah, that's true. No, or, yeah, but he, still. He does defeat the giant uh, yeah, snake no. with a sword instead of a wand. That is true. <laughs> um, well, and, and of course, by putting down the wand, he allows Riddle to pick it up. And this brings up a very interesting discussion that really we didn't get to, as, as first time readers of Chamber of Secrets, you don't really get to reflect on what would have happened if Riddle had just killed Harry? If past Riddle had Avada Kedavra'd Harry, which he was clearly about to do at some point. I think it would have ended up like the Priori Incantatum, more than anything. How? With, because how, how would it work with Harry not having a wand? Yeah, there's not another wand. I, well, Dumbledore says something when he's talking about Priori Incantatum, and he talks about, or maybe it's like, when he talks about, anyway whatever. I don't remember when he says this. He says it at some point when he's talking about <laughs> the wands. Um, and, and he says something about how the wand recognizes both someone it cannot hurt, but it's being told to hurt them. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it like backfires in a way and creates the prior incantatum effect. So, I mean, I guess, I don't know if that would necessarily happen if, like, since Harry doesn't have a wand, but I feel like there's almost this idea of, especially if Fox is there slash coming and Fox's tail feather is in the wand, the wand might know enough, because at this point, the only person who's ever used it is Harry, and so... Maybe it it would recognize enough and not hurt him. Hmm. Well, yeah. I don't it, know. It's already interesting <laughs> enough that Riddle came out of the diary without his wand. Um. That's an. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming that has to happen because their wands can't encounter each other yet, or a lot of information would be <laughs> <laughs> revealed at that point. Like she could, she pretty much couldn't have them do anything to each other. Um, if he had brought his wand. And that said, I don't even know. Like, there's so much hard stuff here because we're, we're talking about a riddle from the past who's in diary. 
Um, he's kind of an embodiment of a Horcrux, but he's a unique case in that way, too, because he's the only Horcrux that we've seen that basically creates a full-bodied second Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, which causes a lot of its own problems. Um, and that, that, that raises the question that I also had of if he, if he had succeeded in draining Ginny of her life force, as he called it, like completely, um, what, I mean, what would have happened? Would he have become a fully corporeal Vol- Voldemort Tom Riddle? And would there be t- the potential to have two Voldemorts? <laughs> In- <laughs> see, I, I, I wonder, I wonder about that because at the same time, I can also see maybe the memory one being able to be like reincorporated somehow. Like, cause you know how like, uh, Dumbledore can like put memories back in his head from the pensieve. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it would be something along those lines because he's specifically a memory. Maybe if he ended up meeting up with the like lost bit of soul that's out there, then maybe they would, like, fuse back together? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's well, difficult. If he had actually... Go oh, ahead, Laurie. Uh, if he had actually killed Harry, too, I wonder how much that would make a problem of oh, Voldemort coming back or getting a rebodied in the fourth book, since Harry wouldn't have oh, been there. Yeah. He would have had to find his grave, I presume. I don't... So that could make more... Maybe Harry dying could have stopped Voldemort from coming back in some way. <laughs> Well, because the other thing, that is. the the thing we're missing from this this piece that, of course, is a, is more of a factor is that uh, this this riddle, this past riddle, doesn't have uh, Harry's blood in him. Yeah, um, which Voldemort does at the end, and that's kind of the last thing that ties them to each other, um, and keeps that connection with the Horcrux and the blood and the blah 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 blah. Um, and that, that's the other thing, is that this riddle, this riddle is a horcrux, is almost about to become a full, potentially independent riddle, doesn't have the, like, I don't know how that would affect, by, by him eliminating the horcrux. Mm-hmm. Ah, how does this work? <laughs> uh, can you imagine the havoc that a, Tom Riddle, Voldemort, that looked like that could wreak. He's, he's <laughs> yes. a very handsome human being. Like, <laughs> oh, man. I feel like that would have just been a disaster. Well, <gasps> you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like he was man. very charismatic and a good-looking, good-looking kid. He would have support for him would have snowballed out of control, <laughs> and he would have ended up. Oh in, man! Oh man! Ah. Yeah. Some bad stuff could have happened. It's just, yeah, it's funny because I don't... This is where Bellatrix is coming from. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? If that's the case, I'm not sure I blame her. He's really cute. What can I say? I mean, yeah. I mean, if we're we're talking Christian Coulson, Tom Riddle. Yeah. yeah, I'm all all for that. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I vote yes. Um, But... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, no, I just it's it's hard to say because there's so many factors going in and I know it's hard to remember too like what what is relevant by the time that Voldemort and Harry have their final showdown and their final disconnect from each other. Um, you know, how you know, how much does the blood factor in? How much does the wand factoring in? Uh all of these different elements. Um 
So I know that's it's it's hard to keep it all straight and then try and figure out what the heck is going on here. But yeah, they're definitely I feel like the consequences could have been pretty catastrophic. There's um of course this this raises the other um discussion around this chapter this infamous discussion around the chapter that Rowling doesn't want us to talk about anymore. And I'll just sh- <laughs> we'll we'll just share it here so that y'all don't have to talk about it anymore. Um yeah. which is everybody saying, "Well, why didn't Harry, why why didn't anything why wasn't anything affected? Why wasn't the Horcrux destroyed by the Basilisk Venom? Because Basilisk Venom can destroy Horcruxes. Uh and as Rowling said, and as his as the the Deathly Hallows as and Half Blood Prince made very clear, because she put a line in to make us not talk about it. <laughs> 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 the the shell, the container of the Horcrux has to be completely destroyed, and Harry was not completely destroyed. He was damaged. He was not damaged beyond repair. He was still repairable, as evidenced by Fox bringing him back to life. Um, nice save, Rolling, on that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank goodness for Deus Ex Machina Fox. Um, <laughs> but that's how, yep, that, that solves that problem. But, uh, I, with all these mechanics that we're talking about, I think with, with, with Horcruxes, um, we've already talked a little bit about, um, how Harry and the problem with Harry and Tom Riddle, um, there's, there's some fascinating stuff too going on with, with, and I think this stuff is a little more explained by Half-Blood, but there's a fascinating, there's a fascinating aspect going on with Ginny, um, and her relationship with Riddle in this book, as Riddle puts it on page 310, her soul happened to be exactly what I wanted. I grew stronger and stronger on a diet of her deepest fears, her darkest secrets. And I found that fascinating in itself because while we know that Horcruxes seem to be, to take advantage of people's, I think the biggest one we see that with is the locket, um, that Horcruxes feed off of negative emotions and they amplify mm-hmm. negative emotions. Um, it's interesting that this one is actually sucking out her soul to gain its power and actually draining her of her life force to do it, to create a second life. See, that's the other thing that's, that's so weird about, I, like, I don't, I wouldn't say personally, from what we know about the other Horcruxes, I wouldn't posit that the other Horcruxes would create another full functioning Voldemort or Riddle. I don't know if you ladies would agree with that. Yeah, I think I think this one in sp- specifically is like weird because it's a hybrid. It's not a full Horcrux like the locket or the cup is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this one is he did actually put the memory of himself into this diary as well as a Horcrux. Um, so it's like a pensive Horcrux. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's what makes it a little bit more alive, I think, and, like, able to kind of think for itself, Mm -hmm. whereas the others don't as much. Um, Yeah, and that's what's the weird thing here, but but it also, it needs that, like, emotional intimacy to thrive Mm -hmm. in a kind of way, which I think we see the other Horcruxes using closeness, like physical closeness as a, as a weapon. Mm -hmm. But this one, 
has something weird with it where it needs like emotional closeness, not just physical closeness. And that could be the memory part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It needs that like life force. Yeah. So it could needs... someone have made a diary like this that wasn't a Horcrux? I feel like. I think so. They could I could imagine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think like what Allison was saying, and I think like what I assume, what I assumed as a first time reader of the series was that this is magic that you could replicate without the Horcrux, because I, not knowing that it's a Horcrux, if you take that aspect out of it, yeah, Harry's just talking to a talking diary. That's a pretty typical magic thing, right? Yeah, it's fine. No big deal. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Well, if this was one of the first Horcruxes too. Um, it'd be the one that probably took the most out of him and took the most from him directly to create because by the time he makes all of them, he's been doing it a few times, so it's less of a deal. And at this one, he'd been studying the Horcruxes and all of that for quite a while, so it was kind of the, the moment of glory that he could finally do the thing. That's an excellent uh, boost for the theory that... Uh, for the, for the uh, pie theory with Horcruxes that it's like you get a certain percentage and it gets smaller and smaller um, yeah. as you go. Yeah. Um, and that would definitely make sense because <laughs> it's funny when, 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 we, when we all talk about the, the cup, everybody's like, what does the cup do? Nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the evil cup. It doesn't, it doesn't really do, it doesn't like talk to you or anything. And of course the movie... Yeah. The cup is more of a trophy than anything. Yeah. I just felt like. Yeah. We we never see in the book that the cup actually takes any action, unlike in the movie, of course, where it has its whole. It's the spidey sense. <laughs> yes. It has little, little, <laughs> and it has like little water, watery chamber of secrets. Blah. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> something else entirely. Um, but uh, there was another. Who who put down this fascinating question about uh, dementors? Oh, that was me. Please, uh, please I... put this forward <laughs> to the group. So if if Riddle's diary is sucking Ginny's soul out of her, that seems to be similar to what the dementors do. So what what would have happened if if he had sucked her soul out entirely? Would she have become? whatever happens which after you've had the Dementors kiss? I think it's a little bit different. Because I feel like the Dementors, it's involuntary. So we know that if you get the Dementors kiss, you're still alive, but you are you have no sense of self. Whereas I feel like the diary, you pour in your sense of self and everything that like makes you you, which is why she's going to die i think it how do i how do i put this it's making sense in my head no this makes Um, what you're saying makes sense yeah Yeah. like like there's that concept of is it greek or latin or something that like the soul the animus like oh yeah uh Yeah, i don't remember you know like there's like that that sense of like your life force and i feel like that's almost more of what we're talking about here Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, Riddle interchangeably uses soul and life force when he's talking about Ginny and what's happening to her. So yeah, I feel like she she loses her sense of self because she has these moments where she doesn't know what she's been doing, and yeah. Riddle is actually taking taking her over. But it's almost like more than what a Dementor does. You know, mm-hmm. like a Dementor will leave you alive, 
but it'll take everything that makes you you. Whereas this is going to take what makes you you and it'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit more. This just is really bad. Extra, right really, there. really bad. I wonder if Riddle was inspired by Dementors when he was coming up with this. If there's anything with that or if there's... We've talked too about Dementors' relationships with Horcruxes. Of course, that idea that could a Dementor destroy a Horcrux. What if... Well, I'm sure if he was learning about all of these, like, deep things, it had to come up at some point. And he does seem to get along with Dementors quite well. He does. Yes, that's true. He does strike a few deals with them. That's the thing. <laughs> well... What a creep. And, uh, the, we've talked a little bit already about the how this works with the mechanics of Horcruxes, and then specifically in relation to Harry, rolling is... This is, again, why it's so funny that Chamber of Secrets is kind of left behind in the fandom. Um, because Rowling is working really hard in this book to drop hints for future books. And um, especially one of the one of the great moments that uh, gets gets a little lost, but I think it's 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 compounded upon by the whole theme of Chamber of Secrets with Harry questioning his self identity. Uh, but it comes to a head here when Riddle says on page three hundred and seventeen. There's strange likenesses between us, after all. Even you must have noticed. Both half-bloods, orphans, raised by muggles. Probably the only two paths or mouths to come to Hogwarts since the great Slytherin himself. We even look something alike. And I thought that was a really interesting line, because that's not a line that people really latch on to, is their physical similarities. And of course... The movie was like, yep, no physical similarities. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> None at all. And it's funny. They both have dark hair, whatever. The, I remember the the funny thing about uh, the funny funny reverence. Sometimes I'm I'm I find myself impressed by how much research Lego does whenever they depict Harry Potter. Um, the set, the Chamber of Secrets set. The first one that had Tom Riddle in it as just Tom Riddle, not as Voldemort. He has the same hairpiece as Harry. (laughs) 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 I feel like that was their way of referencing this line. But it's funny because I don't think we often think... Because, you know, and then Riddle goes on to later ridicule Harry's um, physical appearance and actually try to distance himself from Harry by saying, like, how could you, you're like a scrawny, skinny little 12-year-old, how could you defeat Voldemort? Um, <laughs> and it's 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 funny, though. Because... Well, we get so much, too, in Half-Blood about how handsome, like, Tom Riddle is, <laughs> and I feel like she never describes Harry like that. Like, <laughs> we never get the sense that, like, Harry's particularly handsome, but she goes on and on about how everybody's like in love with how hot Tom Riddle is. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, well, and we we know. I think the thing that we see compared more between them in book six is more of their their charm, and that mm-hmm. Riddle kind of finds a way to act that charm. Harry genuinely is charming without meaning to be, much to his chagrin. Um, <laughs> but Riddle Riddle doesn't have and that when he authentic. Tries to be, it ends up really bad. Yes, yes, and when he tries too hard, he can't do it. Riddle tries hard, and he can do it, but he can't do it naturally. Um, 
and they're they're compared more in that way. But it's funny that Tom actually brings up their phys- their, their similarity in physical appearance because that's not really touched on a lot. Um, but there, I mean, that whole that whole little thing from Riddle is basically just like you're a Horcrux. <laughs> Like, here's the plot of the rest of the five books. Go. (laughs) I think, I think it's an interesting thing because I noticed this line and I noticed a line a little bit later where Harry specifically like looks at that Tom Riddle and he's like this orphan boy who would go on to kill Harry's parents and so many other people. And it's this interesting like humanizing experience for Harry, I think, of Mm. this enemy that like, Riddle gives this line about, look how alike we are, and Harry goes, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> and then he's like, wait, he's he's like me. We're similar. Um, and it helps kind of humanize him a lot, which comes back in Half-Blood, Half-Blood and in Deathly Hallows, where, I mean, that final battle, he specifically calls him Tom, and it almost calls back to this moment of he's human he's not just this scary apparition that he was in sorcerer's stone mm-hmm. yeah he was a kid who like yeah was around harry you know he's he'd been <laughs> harry's age before he'd had experiences like harry yeah absolutely there's a lot, a lot of the groundwork for half-blood prince being built here it's funny because Rowling has said too and i'd be fascinated to know more about this she hasn't elaborated on this more but she has said that um, there were a lot of things in Half-Blood that were originally meant to be in Chamber. And then she was just like, whoops, I gave way too much away. And she <laughs> just like took it out and saved it for Half-Blood. I'd be curious to know what those details were. Um, I want to read that version. I know. That would be so good. <laughs> like, I want that version. <laughs> it's terribly tantalizing. Um, and then how does that change all the ones then after that? Like, man. Well, and to f- so many options since we're since we're on the business of uh, humanizing Tom Riddle, what better way to humanize him than to make fun of all of his different names that he had <laughs> around the world? Because <laughs> um, of course, the big thing, the big twist of this book is that Riddle's name is an anagram for "I am Lord Voldemort," which, by the way, as like. a 10 year old i was just like my mind is blown like, I, 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 I remember specifically getting out a notebook to like write it out She's like how did she do this <laughs> i always wonder if she came up like she had to have come up with the name tom marvolo riddle after she came up with voldemort so oh, like sure. i wonder yes. how long it took her sitting there being like what names are gonna work to make this <laughs> spell out. And especially to come out with something like Marvolo. Like, that's not yeah. that's not a word that I would have found out of an anagram. Especially with his first name being just Tom. Like, it's so normal yeah. to have that as a middle name. It's so normal. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it's 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 very cleverly done. And it's, it's I think this is the, the amazing thing about it is that you you get from that, there's still meaning in his original, in his real name that still ties into his made-up name. Um, you know, you get... With, with Marvolo, you get uh, tied to Malevolent. Um, it, yeah. It's perfect. It's amazing that she managed to do that. Um, and I wonder if that was something she planned before book... Be- even in the development of book one. Um, but, of course, 
apparently, while she was thinking hard in English, she may not have been thinking too hard about other languages. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Tom suffered severely in other languages. <laughs> and probably his most famous one, which was talked on epi- about on episode 18, in French, his name is Tom Elvis Jedusso. I love it. Yes, his name is Elvis, and just always remember that if you ever want a way to make him a little less frightening. Um, That's what Harry should have called him in that last battle. Hey, Elvis! <laughs> Elvis! <laughs> because let's finish this how we started it. You can't. You can't say I am Voldemort in France. You say in France. You say je suis Voldemort. Um, that sounds quite threatening, and yet romantic. <laughs> um, in Nor- what a perfect name for him, then. In Norwegian, his name was changed to Tom Dredolo Venster, um, which is an anagram <laughs> of Voldemort den Stor, which means Voldemort the Great. Uh, Ooh. yeah. Huh. In Sweden, his middle name, he has two middle names. Um, Mervolo is one of them. It's, it's Mur instead of Mar. His last name is Dolder. And his second middle name is Gus. (laughs) 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 And actually, and interestingly, that was done to actually, instead of, his name is not in, the, the anagram is not meant to be Swedish. It's meant to be Latin for ergo, uh, ego sum Lord Voldemort. Um, which I believe the Latin version, because there is a Latin translation, uh, did not. <laughs> I like this one actually. Yeah, did not necessarily. Where is the Latin translation? Where did it go? It's it's the Latin version was Tom Musvox Rudel. Yes, <sighs> like are you? Which is an anagram of Sum Dux Voldemort or I am Voldemort the leader. Ooh, which sounds quite threatening. Yeah, yeah. that's good. So he made out well in Latin, but not in like His Danish. Fake- Fake Swedish Latin. His Danish one I like is his Danish Romeo one. G. Detlev Jr. So there's the second one there again. So in Danish, it really makes sense to have Cursed Child happen. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Romeo. Romeo. <laughs> there was a, a big issue in Hungarian, unfortunately, because his name became Tom Raoul Denham. <laughs> and unfortunately, the Rowl tied him into the Thorfinn Rowl into Thorfinn Rowl's family. Oopsie Daisy! Oh man! Um, Oops! So Whoops. they had to they had to fix that. Um, and uh, the other the other issue, as as the Harry Potter wiki notes, in many cases, these changes to the name created a problem in later books. In the English edition, a line of dialogue mentions that Tom Riddle shares his given name with the bartender of the Leaky Cauldron. And this becomes a plot point. Translators who could not have foreseen this development had, in fact, given different names to Tom the Bartender and to Tom Riddle, resulting in this reference being completely <laughs> <Whoops>. erased. <laughs> I also like the the Arabic version. They were just like, we're not even going to deal with this. It just like, didn't even happen to the anagram. <laughs> <laughs> easy, easy enough. Don't even bother. Uh, <laughs> just write out, I am Lord Voldemort. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, listeners, if you want to explore that more, a, jumping, a great jumping off point is the Harry Potter wiki. They have a whole section 
um, on their page in Harry Potter and Translation, where they discuss the issue of anagrams, and Riddle's name is probably one of the uh, biggest issues that ever came up for the translations. Um, so yeah, if you want to help, if you want some help taking Voldemort down a peg, just go look at his foreign <laughs> names. <laughs> uh, I thought it was also um, important to uh, ch- uh, recheck our timeline because this is something that we've gotten confused about a lot on Alohomora. Um, especially when we just bring up the Horcruxes and we're like, crap, we forgot to look at the timeline. <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's important to remember. And Riddle basically gives away that he helps give away the timeline in, on page 312, he says, it had taken me five whole years to find out everything I could about the chamber of secrets and discover the secret entrance. Um, that helps us a little bit because we know that Riddle began at Hogwarts in 1938. That was resolved, that question was confirmed by Rowling confirming that Hermione was nearly 12 when she started. You're not nearly 11, you have to be, you have to be 11 or older to start at Hogwarts. And he turned 11 on December 31st, 1937. So he was too late to go in 1937. So he started in 1938. That would put him in his fifth year, which is in September 42 to June 43. So around that year, sometime in that year, he found the Chamber of Secrets. He'd been researching it up to that time, but he became, he, he found it that year and he became fully knowledgeable at this, in the same year and capable of creating a Horcrux by that time because, of course, m- poor Moaning Myrtle is his first victim, um, to create the diary. So, and he frames Hagrid for, for Myrtle's death. On June 13th, 1943. Um, there had been other incidents up to that point, but Myrtle is the big one because she actually dies. Um, the funny thing about that, I thought, is that Dumbledore is around all of this time. And I don't know. Of course, the distinctive disadvantage that Dumbledore has in all of this, as far as finding the chamber and any information on it, is that he does not speak parcel tongue. Dumbledore does a lot of things. Parseltongue is not one of his abilities. Um, that said, do you think he ever actually maybe just thought to go to the girls' bathroom and ask Myrtle what happened to her? <laughs> because... No. Dumbledore <laughs> 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 really, is why? brilliant, but common sense never seems to be the route that anybody in the wizarding world goes. <laughs> it just it's probably one of the most common sense things to do because it's not every day you get a Hogwarts student who dies and can give a moderate like a at least half account <laughs> of what happened to her. Um of course she can't I mean maybe Go ahead. Laura. Um uh like she's pretty fond of Harry and stuff so maybe Dumbledore had and she just was murdery and just moaned and whined about having been dead <laughs> rather than actually well, answer him. Did. She did run off for a while, didn't she? She, like, was haunting all of Hornby. So, like, maybe they're like, uh, you're crazy. We're leaving you alone. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. She does haunt all of Hornby till she dies, and then she comes back to Hogwarts. Um, so maybe, but Dumbledore was around during that time, too, but I suppose by that time he's like, uh, case closed. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's happened for years. Move on. Goes into the Hogwarts cold case files. Um, <laughs> which I'm sure there are many of, actually. Um, all in Filch's office, oh. right? <laughs> yes, all in Filch's office. Um, <laughs> the the other interesting thing, of course, about about this timeline is not only 
Riddle's interaction with Myrtle. This this opens up the door to the realization that Riddle seemed to be very hyper aware of pretty much every student in Hogwarts, um, which must not have been easy to do as a Slytherin. But he also elaborates on something we've talked a lot about on on Alohomora, and that's his knowledge of Hagrid and his relationship with Hagrid. And he says on page three eleven, it was my it was my word against Hagrid's Harry. Well, you can imagine how it looked to old Armando Dippet. On the one hand, Tom Riddle, poor but brilliant, parentless but so brave, school prefect, model student. On the other hand, big blundering Hagrid in trouble every other week, trying to raise werewolf cubs under his bed, sneaking off to the Forbidden Forest to wrestle trolls. And this is funny because Hagrid's not in Riddle's house. Um... And Hagrid never talks about <laughs> Riddle as far as actually knowing him. Um, fascinating, right? Well, yes. <laughs> but that he, like, puts special attention on him, that's kind of weird. But, um, I feel like Hagrid's not someone that's easy to look over. <laughs> Fair enough. You know? And literally, Riddle being a prefect and on his way to... Um, and on his way to being head boy, and we find out in Half-Blood Prince, he kind of has a knack of just, like, finding out stuff about people that he shouldn't know. No. Um, he's just kind of, like, he's kind of nosy. That's true. <laughs> I got this sense, like, like, he just finds out stuff. He's kind of a gossip in some ways. Another, another um, trait he shares with Harry. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that he, he knew about Hagrid at least he knew about the trouble Hagrid got in. Mm-hmm. And so when he was looking for someone to blame this on, why not someone who had a history of trouble? What were you going to say, Olivia? Oh, I also, I feel like Tom Riddle might have had a way of reaching out feelers and kind of having ears and eyes where maybe he otherwise wouldn't mm-hmm. and utilizing friends, for lack of a better word, <laughs> and and having having eyes and ears in in the Gryffindor common room or the dormitory. Hmm. Well, we do know Riddle at least had a something of a small network within Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Um so that might have definitely helped to basically create a a grapevine. Um it's not it's not impossible that other Slytherins had interacted with people from other houses, even the mean ones. Um, that's, that's possible. That's a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess that like going with the idea that, you know, Hagrid obviously is hard to miss. Um, we, I think we could probably assume that Riddle was looking for somebody to take the fall. And we also know that, uh, with his prejudice, he preys upon the underdogs and the, and the, uh, socially ostracized, which Hagrid would seem to have stood out for his half his ancestry alone um so which makes it all the more awful of course that he targeted hagrid um and uh as somebody noted olivia was this you with the with the also me yes (laughs) (laughs) do do elaborate werewolf cubs (laughs) sure why not Sure, okay. But if if werewolves have to be bitten, I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how those can exist. 
That that almost sounds like something to me of just like that shows that Riddle didn't really know Hagrid because he probably just heard rumors. Mm. <laughs> so if they don't know, and I mean, werewolves are so misunderstood that he was probably just like, it was probably a rumor that someone's like, you hear about that Hagrid kid? He's raising werewolf yeah. cubs under his bed. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're joking. And they just like, I heard he wrestles up, trolls you know? in the Forbidden Forest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also do have that story from Pottermore that there is one known case of a set of werewolf cubs that were bred um, in an unusual way that uh, resulted in them having being tame and intelligent. Um, so maybe he was taking care of those werewolves, the ones that reside in the in the Forbidden Forest. Maybe he was put in charge of them. But we also do. I want that fanfic. <laughs> I want to see that. We are that. I do feel like we're missing out on something with that section. <laughs> well, and we we also do get a little more of a confirmation of something we were trying to figure out earlier. Um, that Riddle says that Hagrid is put into training with um, if, uh, to be gamekeeper. He doesn't just become gamekeeper once he's kicked <laughs> out. Um, so he was probably working under Og for that period of time. Potentially without a wand for some part of it. Um, maybe just doing more filch-like things. Uh, until the theory, of course, that we've bandied about that uh, the wand was fixed by the Elder Wand. But that's a whole other episode entirely. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a... There, it looks like... Uh, Olivia, is this, was this your question up here about uh, Riddle in the diary? Oh, yeah. Uh, he seems to be very well informed about what's going on in current time. And I don't know how much of that is what Ginny would have told him through her complaining to a diary, but he does seem to be very aware of what's happening. And if he, if he put him 16 year, his 16 year old self in the diary, I don't know how much of that he would have been able to glean. It just seems like he would have stopped at 16. I think that's how Dumbledore figures out it's a Horcrux. Ah. Um, because a memory shouldn't be able to process that information, but a Horcrux, that's kind of one of its defense mechanisms, is looking for weaknesses. Um, so especially if Ginny had, like, filled him in, and if somehow, I mean, it hit off, he made the connection between Harry and Voldemort, and he started asking for that history. I'm sure Ginny, because Ginny's a Harry fangirl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially at this point, just filled him in with everything. Um, so that's where I think Dumbledore gets the idea of, oh, this is not just a memory. This is something more. Mm. Yeah, I, I, Riddle gives the explanation that, that Ginny gave it all, gave all the information to him. And we know that Riddle is persuasive enough that he can he could have ostensibly gotten all that i mean really too right when you think about it Ginny was probably wanting to talk to somebody about her feelings about harry and then here's the one person who asked so not only is she gonna tell him her feelings she's probably gonna just gush about harry like if he asks <laughs> details she'll yeah. give it to him um Poor Tom Riddle. 
I wonder if she practiced her Valentine on him. Oh. <laughs> what do you think about this? His eyes are as green as a fresh <laughs> I forgot about and that. He probably oh had to be God. like, ah, true poetry. Some of the phrasing in this part reminded me of, I would have read this when I was about nine or ten. Um, he was talking about how she spilled all of her secrets to an imaginary stranger. It sounded like a lot of the, like, very early internet warnings that parents would give you about not telling people <laughs> facts about yourself. So that, that yeah, was a- that, yeah, that was a conversation <laughs> on episode 18. And uh. it's, it's, it's funny here because it's, it's it, like, it was something I didn't even think of. Um, in relation to this but yeah it seems like an obvious parallel now yeah, i remember as a kid i was actually kind of it re made me even more scared of the internet as i already was at the time <laughs> it's like it's right look what can happen <laughs> you can get your soul sucked out <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah well it's well and i think that that goes hand in hand with the with the warning that arthur will give Ginny in the next chapter of not being aware of something that if you can't see where it keeps its brain Mm -hmm. um is definitely disclaimer we are not advocating our younger listeners reveal personal information (laughs) no no (laughs) this is still a good warning (laughs) but also you know don't be like so afraid of the internet that you just don't use it like it's okay just be smart (laughs) when you go on the internet listeners Especially now, like it's it, it's um it's funny because that that did come about in a world where it was just like, oh no, AIM will like bring about the end of civilization. Oh, how much how little we understood. So pure. <laughs> so innocent. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like we're all kind of we all carry Riddle's diary in our pocket now. And that's, I think they actually specified that she had kept it in her pocket. And I was like, I kind of like just stared at my phone for a second. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) Don't you dare have a piece of somebody's soul in you. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, that's, that's in a way why, why Harry Potter is still so relevant and why it carries on because that, that theme will probably continue to carry on. She found a way. It's funny. She found a way to like work in an uh, an analogy about phones into the magical world where nobody <laughs> uses phones. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's and and you know we've been speaking of Ginny's relationship with this diary. I see we have some points here about Ginny, which is great because. Yeah, we don't talk about her. Yeah, here's my here's my and she's my awesome. Ginny Thor cup. I haven't gotten to do this in a while. I smash it on the floor and I scream, another, another. Because I did, you know, honestly, when I was reading through this, I was just like, dang, Ginny's so boring in this chapter. Like she, she wakes up and she's like, no, where am I? Oh my God. Oh my God. And then that's like all she does. I might get expelled. I'm going to get expelled. And it's, and it, it is interesting because she doesn't really have, this is kind of her big moment. <laughs> and, See, yes, I think it tells us a lot about yes, her. Yes, please, please extrapolate. At least as a kid. And then if we compare that to her in later books, when Harry starts, you know, paying attention to her again, <laughs> um, it's interesting to kind of see her character development because we very much get her, and a lot of people too, especially in the later books, are like, oh, Ginny's such a Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. Like, she's perfect at everything. But I think if we compare that later Ginny to this Ginny and you kind of start... I mean, you kind of have to fill in a few 
things. <laughs> but because she's like terrified. She's terrified of what she's done. She thinks she's going to get kicked out of school, which is all she's ever wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. Like, she's wanted to go to Hogwarts since Bill went. And so it's very interesting to see, like, this, like, development. She's almost Hermione-esque. Like, that was Hermione's greatest fear in Prisoner, too. Or not in Prisoner, sorry, in Sorcerer's Stone. Was that she'd get expelled, right? That she'd get kicked Mm -hmm. out of school. Um and so, but then later we kind of see her, she, she's gained this, like, almost more quiet confidence by the time Harry starts paying attention to her again. So this kind of, like, she feels settled in who she is and where she is, and she's more comfortable with that. Whereas here, she was so worried that everything she wanted to be was going to get taken away from her, um, because... She let out too much, and so it's it's very interesting. I feel to kind I feel of, like you've opened up like a whole door, like a whole a whole Dumbledore, <laughs> like where we could totally use Ginny's moment here to actually explore like male privilege, because the funny yeah. thing is, like Harry and Ron have no concerns about being expelled, like and when like they're just like ah, it's fine, we just saved the school, it's cool. <laughs> Dumbledore will forgive us. <laughs> Dumbledore will pardon it. And Ginny's just like, oh my god, I'm gonna be expelled! I almost killed people! Oh my god. And, and, and like, did, has she noticed, like, how forgiving Dumbledore's been, like, all the time? Like, <laughs> but she does, but she doesn't, and, and Hermione's the same way. Like, there's definitely an, and to be fair, yes, there are, there are scenes in the books where Harry and Ron wonder if they will be expelled. That tends to be more when they're in, they're in encountering discipline from her either McGonagall or Snape, not Dumbledore. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that the, 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 the main girls in this series seem to really value their time at Hogwarts and their education and are fearful that it could be taken away at any moment. And Harry tends to, like, while Harry has those moments, overall he seems to take for granted that he's not going anywhere because he's just like, yeah, save the school. Like, yeah, they can't expel me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an asshole. I'm Harry Potter. It's the only, I'm the only reason the school stayed open. <laughs> no, that's that one. Well, the the other interesting thing that you could pair with that concept is that I I think this why I feel let down by what happens to Ginny's character constantly through the book, and I feel like it is just as prominent in here as it is in any of the books, if not more so. Her character is really fleshed out not by herself but by everyone else. Um. Yeah. yeah. She she is explained in full. Like I feel like the the funny thing about Ginny being the the solution to the who done it is you realize that we don't know Ginny. And the person who fully reveals her is Riddle. And up to that point it it really is her family that shapes her to Harry. The, Ron is the one who tends to relay the most information about her to Harry. Um and then here we go, we get this huge information dump about her from Riddle. Um, and, and that seems to continue on. You know, eventually we get some more info dumps from Hermione about Ginny. Um, mm-hmm. she never, <laughs> it takes her a long time to be just like, hi, hey, here I am. Let me talk about myself for a little bit. Which I think, like you said, Allison, you kind of cited her change in book five where she actually is just like, 
I'm going to talk about me for a while and nobody else will. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that kind of speaks to like her insecurities. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we even get that dark moment in Order of the Phoenix where she like, they're talking about Harry being afraid he's being possessed. And she's like, did you ask the one person who's been through that? (laughs) And he's like, I forgot. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> like, lucky. <kid. laughs> How um, nice it must be. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, I, I, I think you kind of see that, that trauma that shapes her in a lot of ways that kind of comes from this moment in this book. I think that's my one relief about how she's used in this story is that it does come back to help shape Harry's journey in Order of the Phoenix and that she finds a way to use her personal experience to be a part of the story. Um, yeah. Does take a few books, but it's nice. I'm, I'm, I am glad that this, this, this moment is extrapolated on and not just left as like, yep, Jenny had this super traumatic experience and then she went back to school and she was fine. The end. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is, there, there, this is an extreme thing she went through um, and nobody really Nobody really even asks if she's okay. Harry doesn't even com- do anything to comfort her when he. <laughs> well, Harry's not very good. No, at he's awesome. No. So, <laughs> uh, I think the only other thing really worth. No, I mean we've kind of extrapolated at length about where the heck is Gryffindor's sword hanging out when it just falls out of a hat. Um... <laughs> I don't know if any, unless anybody has any more theories about where it could be other than, you know, the nether. (laughs) Floating in space. Well, and we know that ostensibly wherever, wherever it is, it will just be pulled through the hat when somebody wearing it needs it. Who's a true Gryffindor. Um. I.e. Neville. Because of course in Deathly Hallows, we don't get the confirmation that Griphook is dead. And that the sword just dematerializes from his hand, like the movie. Um, <laughs> for all we know, the sword was just pulled out of Griphook's hand when Neville needed it, um, or taken from his possession. Ouch! Yeah. Whoops. So, I don't really have more to say about the sword. And the other thing I don't really have much more to say on is Gilderoy Lockhart. That guy gets what he deserves. <laughs> Yep. Oh, can we talk I think about? We're all agreed on that. <laughs> can we just talk about how cool Ron seems with that? Ron is just like, yeah. da, this guy over here twiddling away with no memory and is hanging out. To be fair, he did try to wipe their memories just a few hours ago. Fair enough. And Ron is kind of the type to uh, hold a bit of a grudge. So <laughs> that and Ron, like, not only all of that, but on top of that. Gilderoy tried to use Ron's wand to do it. Yeah. Like a jerk. Yeah. No, that's that's what he gets. He Gilderoy may be the <laughs> biggest uh be the biggest receiver of poetic justice in the entire series. Well, and Ron's the one too who had to like live forever with his mother who just seemed to worship Gilderoy, so to have him kind of get his <laughs> revenge on it. Look, mom. It's probably a nice little told you so. F- <laughs> for Hermione too later. Oh yeah. I wonder what happened to his book sales after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we go by the movieism that he wrote a book called Who Am I? Yeah. <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> I always um I've been rereading uh, I'm on Order of the Phoenix when they're cleaning out the Grimold Palace and um 
I always wish that there were a part where they would reference, like, Mrs. Weasley still using one of his books. Like, well, it's still true as, like, a guide to how to get rid of all the pests. Oh, does she? She does, doesn't she? Maybe I missed it. Yeah, I think she does. Oh, then. (laughs) I don't know if she's using one of Lockhart's books or if she's using a different book. I know she names the title of a book. I feel like it's a Lockhart book. Ooh. I have to go look uh, listeners, it up again. It's been a while since I've we throw ordered. that to you to check <laughs> on that. And I'm sure Lockhart will come up in future discussion because he has plenty of chapters all to himself. We're hardly about to let him hijack this <laughs> one. Um, but I think the probably the thing to leave with is um, just again our like after discussing it, our overall impressions of of this chapter of Chamber of Secrets in general and how this chapter as a key chapter affects the series. Um, how do we feel now? How does everybody feel? Ooh. I feel like you can start to see some of the the darker pieces that are going to come into play in the later books. Mm. Like, this is this is Harry's first real encounter with someone that he knows and is relatively close with that might die. And then he mm. has an active part in in preventing or catalyzing that. And we, I mean, we get the groundwork for a lot of the stuff that comes back in um, in Half Blood Prince. So I think we start to see a little bit of a shift towards some darker, slightly more complex things, while still being a real solid kids book. That's an excellent way to put it. I didn't even think of that, but yeah, this is like other outside of kind of that idea of his parents who he couldn't save obviously this this is the first time a friend of his is in so much mortal peril that they are actually like Hermione and Ron of course were in danger during the third floor corridor sequence but not directly from Voldemort um yeah and they were all there and in it together and yes Ginny yeah, was there a was bit never unwitting. any any doubt for Harry that they would all make it out of that yeah absolutely this is the first time that yeah like you said somebody that Harry actually knows pretty well well <laughs> moderately well um, is actually <laughs> he's related to someone he knows yes well. somebody he cares about <laughs> and kind of like the kind of like the innocent too like not someone who's chosen to go into danger like mm-hmm. they did in social yeah Jenny didn't um. ask for this yeah yeah i i still i still kind of can't and it, it's funny just because i've never read this chapter out of context of the rest of the book that's the this is the first time i've done that this will be the part of that new weird experience with alohomora with these revisits <laughs> um but it really did kind of i guess it kind of struck me the the just how there's something about the tone of this chapter and i feel like that carries through to the first two or three books just how far the books grew i guess i forget how far they grew sometimes because this chapter again it seems so surreal and silly when you line up all of the pieces and you're just like wow this is weird this is almost kind of a drug trip and like what is going on here like it's just so funny and weird and odd and a little and not as perhaps you know, the funny thing about Harry Potter to say is that it's grounded in reality, but in many ways it is. A lot of, I think a lot of the reasons that the series <laughs> is praised is because it takes, it does, it, it, it sets limitations upon its magic. And, um, while I think there's definitely a lot of rule building here going on that's going to be important later, um, you know, we're fighting a giant snake that's been in a chamber for a thousand <laughs> years. <laughs> and a hat vomits up a sword and there's a and there's a singing phoenix and you're just like well oh okay and it's over 
<laughs> like, <it's, laughs> I, I think, and I think part of that is the movie that shaped a lot of that for me because this sequence is so long in the movie. <laughs> it just keeps going and it's so quick in the book. Um, it's just funny, I guess, that to, to look at it again this way, just out of context. It, it really, while this chapter is so integral and important for Half Blood, I guess it's, I guess I can see the reasons why the fandom is just like, remember that crazy book? <laughs> where Harry fought a giant <laughs> snake for two seconds. <laughs> so. Oh, I was going to say, it's funny because reading it out of context, I think I realized how much more of a building block for the bigger things it was that are coming in later books. But when you read it in context, it's just like, oh yeah, this happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> here we go. End of the book. Blah, blah, blah. You know? But like reading it closer just by itself, it's like, oh this connects to all this stuff that's going to happen in Goblet and Half-Blood and Order and Deathly Hallows, <laughs> and it's all just layering and coming and becoming complicated together, and like, oh yeah, we get a lot of that here. Like, Whereas, in the context of the book, I think at this point, rereading the whole thing, it's like, oh yeah, this is the climax and the fight in this book, and there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a little. It was a little jarring, I think, to read it this way. Actually, it took me a little by surprise. But that's uh, that's our little jaunt into the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, we'll we'll leave that closed behind us. None of us speak Parcel Tongue anyway, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, unless one of you ladies has a secret you're keeping from us. Um, <clears throat> well, <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> um. Harry talks in his sleep. Have you <laughs> so we are jumping into our podcast question of the week because it's back. Yes. Here we go. So this week we're going to look at some questions we've talked about throughout our discussion. So what would have happened if Riddle had simply used Harry's wand to kill Harry instead of, you know, monologuing? <laughs> what if Fox hadn't shown up? And how would this have affected the rest of the series? How would the rest of the series be different? So head on over to alovemore.mugglenet.com and let us know. Yeah, there is a, there in, in episode 18, there was a discussion. I believe it was brought up by Caleb and Noah of was Fox just like floating outside the door waiting for his cue? And if like Harry didn't, <laughs> He's just if like Harry that. didn't say all the right stuff about like Dumbledore being a still part of the school, Fox would have been like, all right, well, he didn't say it, so I guess I'll go back up to the office. <laughs> like, <laughs> so. I missed my cue. <laughs> he didn't say his line. So, there you go, listeners. <laughs> Now's your chance to posit some answers to that very strange question. <laughs> <laughs> cool, and I'd like to thank our guest, Olivia, for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I had a good time. Yes, you were fantastic. You were a fantastic <laughs> guest, Olivia. Did you were you were you hoping to talk about Riddle a little bit? Yeah, he. The oh, I don't even have words. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, clearly, I'm I'm ready to talk about this. We're, but he's he fascinates me, and he's so creepy and sociopathic, and I just ooh yeah. Well. It's uh, he. Don't worry, he'll come up again. And I mean, if all we if all we want to do is just talk about how pretty he is on episodes, <laughs> have a C Christian Coulson appreciation episode. <laughs> but but yes, Riddle will definitely come up. In fact, Allison, 
He's our next topic episode. <laughs> uh, so our next episode will be all about the one, the only, the Tom Riddle. Tom Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Every time someone says that, all I can picture is him in like white fringe with the Elvis leg. <laughs> 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 there's, yes, there's a very different physical description of him in the French version, I'm sure. That's a great image. <laughs> <laughs> so if you listeners would like to be on the show, just like Olivia, uh, and uh, talk about Tom Riddle or any other topics or even chapter discussions, we have a page for that on alohumora.mugglenet.com. You can go to the Be On The Show page, and that'll give you all the instructions about submitting an audition. Um, and you can also go to our topic submit page as well on the main site. We need you to suggest topics for us. Uh, this show is built by you, the listeners. We don't want to be the ones deciding everything. Um, we want you guys to structure this show and this discussion as we move forward. And as you know, with this new format, we are doing every other episode will be topic discussion and every other episode will be chapter discussion. And with that said, we're also looking for you guys to suggest chapters that you want us to talk about. And on those submission pages, you also have the opportunity. If you want to be on that discussion, let us know the discussion you submit for, because then we'll probably give you preference. It'll be a lot easier for us to know if you want to be on the show. Um, you really don't need anything fancy. Um, we just require that you have a microphone, be it built into your laptop or your computer, um, and uh, some headphones, and you're all set. And we'll give you all of the instructions to get all of your programs downloaded so you can record with us. If you'd like to contact us, we're at MN on Twitter. We're at facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. Our website's alomahora.mugglenet.com, or you can email us at alomahorapodcast at gmail.com. And we just want to give you one more reminder to go check out our Patreon and one more shout out of thanks to Crystal for supporting this episode. Yay. You just need to go to patreon.com slash alohomora and you can sponsor us for as low as a dollar. And we also, of course, have to thank Lori for stepping in this week. Of course. And being yes. our third host. We appreciate it very much, Lori. Yeah. So I guess we're going to uh, grab onto Fox's tail feathers and get ourselves out of here. <laughs> I'm Mouse and Sigurd. <laughs> I'm Michael Harley. I'm Lori Thompson. Thank you for listening to episode 221 of Alo Mahora. Open the Dumbledore. It's just like magic. Yep, he, 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 he got away with it. He took the episode. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>